Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. Welcome, everybody. This is Dwayne Davidson, your host for Tales from Tolt, here with another episode where we're going to be talking about a interesting profession that a lot of people don't probably think about in everyday life. To help me do that, my special guest is Lena LaFritz, or as most people would know her, from the Carnation famous Mignoshi family. Uh, so welcome, Lena. Welcome. I'm uh, really appreciative of you getting and talk about this uh, profession that you have. Before we start that, we probably just ought to remind people that uh, you are of the Mignoshi family, which most people that are in the Snoqualmie Valley, Duval Incarnation, is surprisingly how many people would know of your family because they've been around for a while. I think it was your great grandfather, if I remember, if I got my facts right, I think it was your great grandfather that came and settled in the area. And basically they farmed pretty much the same place the entire time since they've been there. And you had, you even had some extended relatives of uh, great uncles that lived nearby. Uh, What was that like being part of the Bignoshi family growing up? Well, we learned quickly as kids, you can't get away with anything because everybody knew our family and our family would know what we did before we got home. But um, it's kind of fun to know, like, so I am fourth generation to live on this property. Uh, Mom and dad live in the original house that was built here. So it's just kind of fun to still live on the property where all the history was started yeah i was thinking about this a little bit before uh the program here today you actually were born away from the farm so the your mom and dad had started farming in places outside of the valley and then you were born and then you you've moved back to what was the original farmstead right yes so i was born when mom and dad actually lived in bothell um i was just a baby when they moved away from there and then we lived in Arlington, Marysville area for a few years. And then we came back here, I think it was 89 or 90, because then I started first grade back here in Carnation. I see. And uh, you're married now and have a couple girls and live on the uh, uh, live on the farm. And they're very, very involved with, with the cows and, and uh, 4-H. And are they in FFA too? Yeah, so this year they're both up at the high school, so they're both active in FFA now. So at the Evergreen State Fair, they both exhibited in FFA, and then our youngest, Lexi, also did 4-H this year as well. So are these the type of teenagers that you have to nag to get out to go to the barn and chores, or are they just the ones that love the cows so much and love the animals so much that they just are self-motivated? Well, we have one of each. <laughs> Lexi <laughs> is, uh, just randomly jumps up and goes and gets something done because she always says, well, if I don't do it now, it's not going to get done. And Danielle, I think, is more the typical teenager that would like to sit on the couch and watch cartoons or TV all day. But with a little encouragement, she goes and, and helps out as well. So 
that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And 4-H and uh, FFA, I, I consider to be such character building activities for kids and learning how to take care of uh, of animals. I did it myself, and I think it's just a wonderful experience for kids to go through. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's beneficial. They both started in 4-H. Um, they were able old enough to start when they were in third grade. Um, so they both have been active in 4-H since then. And then as they got older, Danielle transitioned over. She just wanted to do FFA. So that's when they move into the high school that they can participate in that. And we've been a little sad but excited at the same time this year because World Dairy Expo is going on right now. So definitely don't have the typical teenagers um, watching cartoons in the morning because we've been watching World Dairy Expo as they've been getting ready in the morning and watching the live shows on TV. So it's fun to be able to watch, even though we're not participating this year. Dive a little bit more into uh, the occupation that you have. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, Lena has a, a sister, uh, Anne-Marie, uh, who is also uh, involved in agriculture and ag-related industry. And, uh, and your profession Lena, I would say you're probably too young to remember this program, but there used to be called a program where people used to guess professions. I think it was called What's What's Your Line or something like that. And a group of contest, uh, a contestant would come in and this panelist would ask them a limited number of questions and they would take random guesses on trying to guess their occupation. And if you stumped them, you got a prize. Uh, that was a long time ago program. Uh your profession would stump them almost every time because I don't think a lot of people think of this. And this uh, 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 this profession is brand inspector. So tell us a little bit about what is a brand inspector? Um, well, to feed off of your stump the person, I always get that when you're waiting for your coffee at the coffee stand. They're like, oh, what do you do? And they never have a clue. Um, but yeah, so I'm a brand inspector. Um, in Western Washington. And so it is my job to go and prove ownership of cattle and horses that are being sold or moving out of the state. Brand inspecting, where is that a occupation at? Where is that prevalent at? Um, so currently, pretty much all of the states west of the Mississippi still have some sort of a brand program. Um, some still have horses and cattle in the brand program. Um, some of the states just do cattle in the brand program. I see. And so you basically have Western Washington? Um, so on the west side of the state, there's four of us, four inspectors. Um, so there's, I'm, my normal area is about Stanwood to Enumclaw is my normal range. And then if any of the other inspectors need time off or something happens, then we all kind of shift to cover each other's areas. Now, I remember as a young man frequenting an uh, auction down at Britton Brothers Auction in, Soh in uh, Sohomish, which is long, long gone. But I remember that the brand inspector had the nicest seat. He His chair was up in front, was kind of padded, and there, there was a sign on it. And he had a nice... Uh, 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 chair there, but most of the time they were perched out 
in the cattle yards, really inspecting the cows when they were going through the the uh, cattle when they were going through shoots or something like that. That's where they're doing their inspecting. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, when I on Saturdays I work at the sale yard, um, and so but no matter where we're inspecting for the day, um, we are out in the back with the cattle. So what you're talking about at the sale barn is yeah, there's usually some sort of shoot that the cattle come through so they can get their back tag numbers for the sale so they can keep inventory of whose animals are who. But we're also walking both sides of the chute, looking at the cattle on both sides to visually check for brands as they're going through. So just because we have a variety of listeners to this program and some people may have egg and or, or watch Westerns or whatever and know what we're talking about, just in case somebody says, what are they even talking about? We ought to probably uh, uh, just get right down and talk about the basics. So a brand is affixed to cows, usually using a hot iron, uh, but there are other methods, isn't there not? Yeah, so Washington has several forms of official identification. The brand is still the number one um, way of proving ownership, um, which can be the hot iron that leaves like a scar on the skin. And then there's also freeze branding, which is done with liquid nitrogen that the metal brand is dipped into, so it gets really cold. And then that way, when they brand the animal with that, the hair will grow back white where that was applied so then especially like on black or dark haired cattle that's really easy to see um, a lot of horses prefer the freeze brand over the hot brand um, and then recently in the last few years it's um, called an rfid ear tag which is a like little ear tag button that has a microchip or computer chip in it so you can scan that and that's considered official identification as well, just like a brand is. But the brand is still the foolproof way because you can cut out an ear tag and you can't cut a brand off of the cattle. So uh, obviously the purpose of all this is to establish ownership and and to cut down on the amount of theft, otherwise called cattle wrestling, that occurs that's a primary purpose of what you are doing there when you're inspecting these is you're looking for cattle that might have been stolen from somebody being sold, which is at different times in our history has been a pretty big business. Yeah. Um, it's not as frequent as it used to be, um, but definitely it is still a thing that happens. Uh, we get reports from our neighboring states. And so if there's a large quantity of cattle or horses stolen, we get reports on those. So then we can keep an eye out for animals coming through with those brands that were stolen from other areas. Um, the same with us here in Washington, if there's um, stolen livestock, we make a report and then we share that with neighboring states as well. So now when you buy a car, and you buy a used car from someone, you get a new title with a nice new little your name in there and it looks all brand new and it's, it's all nice and clean. If a cow has been sold and it's not and it's being resold, not for uh, uh, butchering or slaughter, the person intends on keeping it, how do they go about proving now it's theirs when there is a brand say uh, that's identifying the previous owner? 
So that's funny that you use that analogy because that's exactly how I describe it to people that don't know anything about branded brand brand program or branded cattle. So when you buy an animal that has somebody else's brand on it, I then make a certificate that says that you've bought the animal from this person. You are now the new owner and it has the description of the animal with a drawing of the brand that's on the animal. And then we put a stamp seal at the bottom, a Washington stamp seal. So it is authentic. And then I explain it to people that think of this as the title to your car, put it in a safe spot, don't <laughs> lose it, because then it proves that you are now the owner of an animal with somebody else's brand on it. Now, has anybody ever said, I'm not going to uh, take a chance on that? And they'll actually like try to, with a freeze brand or whatever, they will X out the old brand and affix the new brand alongside of it. Is it? Does that ever occur? They can. So say... I sold you an animal with my brand and you also have a brand of your own. You can't cover an old brand with your brand, but you can apply your brand in your area because each brand is registered to a specific person or farm. And then you also have to register the location of where you apply the brand. So if it has one on the right hip, but yours is reserved for the left hip, then you can put your brand on there. And then actually when you come through the sale barn or wherever I might be inspecting for the day, I might see the other person's brand, but your brand is on there as well. So your brand then overrides the old brand. Oh, so ownership that, as well. So brands are supposed to be affixed to the left hip. So there's different locations you can apply brands. Um, so the most common ones are the shoulders or the hips, and then also the ribs. If you apply for a brand, because each brand has to be registered through the state of Washington or whichever state you live in. Um, <clears throat> so during the application process, you draw your brand out, and then you also put where you will be placing your brand, whether you're putting it on your right hip or your left hip. But that way we know if your brand comes through and it's in the wrong location, then that's kind of a flag of, hey, that's not normal. He never puts his brand in that spot. What's going on? Type wow. of a thing. So each of us have our normal area. So we get used to the normal brands we see in our area. So if something's different or stands out, it kind of catches on. Well, uh, we uh, run up to a time where we need to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking uh, with uh, Lena about brand inspecting in uh, Washington State. Be right back, folks. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your Valley community radio station. Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinary talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio.
Hi everybody, this is Jay Fisk, host of Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley. We're the show that's on every week and we talk about nonprofits that help all of us who live, work, and play here in the fabulous Snoqualmie Valley. You can catch us at 5.30 p.m. on Sunday and then we do an encore presentation on Monday at 6.30 p.m. That's 5.30 Sunday evening and 6.30 on Monday for Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Hi, I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist, and host of Food Sleuth Radio, the show that helps us think beyond our plates, connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. If you care about the food you eat, then join me on Sundays at 3 p.m. on Valley 104.9 FM for Food Sleuth Radio. Please join Interim City Manager Bob Jean and me, Mayor Kimless, for Carnation Currents. Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays 5.30 p.m., and Fridays 6 p.m. on Valley Radio 104.9 FM for the latest updates of Carnation. Welcome back, folks. We're talking to Elena LaFritz, previously Mignoshi of uh, the Mignoshi family of uh, Carnation, Washington. And Elena is uh, continuing to tell us about her uh, very unique job of being a brand inspector in Washington State, which profession that does exist in most of the Western uh, states where cattle raising was a, was a big deal. It's a very old profession, as you do. Describe Lena, but just like every other thing out there, technology is creeping in and making things digital and things. Can you explain what has been modernized in the way of animal identification? Yeah, so a lot of our job is still visually looking at animals, but there's been technology to help us. It used to be all carbon copy, handwritten certificates. Um, but now that's been digital digitalized <laughs> onto iPads for us that we can take um, to the different inspection sites, the farms, the sale barns, that kind of thing. So um, we can type all our information in instead of using handwritten carbon copies. Um, also, now they have the electronic ear tags as a form of official identification. So that not only helps us in the brand program, but it also is a way of doing animal disease traceability. So if there is a disease outbreak, I don't know if you remember several years ago, it was like Christmas Eve and there was a mad cow breaking oh, news yeah. on the story. So they had to go and paper track all of the animals from that herd and the offspring from that herd. So now the electronic ear tags can help track that process a lot quicker or know, okay, this animal went to slaughter so they can stop hunting for offspring from that. Um, but for us in the brand program, it helps us. So we have um, a wand so we can scan the ear tags and it electronically records the number on the ear tag that we can put on the brand certificate. Also at like the larger um, slaughter facilities, they have automatic readers. So the cattle pass through the reader and it records all the ear tags that way. So it's just an added technology to go with our visual of looking at. 
So this is really interesting because, you know, this basically obviously started as a form of combating theft uh, in cattle, uh, the whole program. And now uh, this this form of brand inspecting and animal identification is lending other benefits to us as a society that it allows for basically food safety issues and being able to track cattle when these type of uh, uh, things occur. So there's either more modern uses that have evolved around this profession than just what it probably originally started off as. It was only a form of uh, establishing ownership over cattle. Yeah. So yeah, the ear tags help us track things a lot quicker. Um, but then also there's the backup. So when the animals go through different sale barns or facilities, they get the sticker on their back with their number. But there's also smaller numbers that tell us what state they're from, what facility they went through, that kind of thing. So even if there's not an ear tag, we can also track that really quick to help us narrow things down as well. So you probably have some kind of a resource I'm only imagining. I haven't pre-talked to you about this, but I but I just imagine you probably have resources available to you at the job that it gives you the her, the brand books from all over the country. Is that is that correct? Um, so we get our Washington State brand book, all of us as inspectors here in Washington. I believe that our main Olympia office has access to all those books. But then we work well with other states as well. So it's usually just a quick phone call and then they'll help us look things up or, or figure questions out. That we have. So who gets to uh, approve the brands and look at these brand concepts that come out? That seems like that'd be a fun job to me. And I'd be interested if any of them has ever been turned down for being inappropriate or something like that. <laughs> well, there's some questionable ones in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, so there's an application form that you get from um, brand office, and then there's a drawing. You have to put a drawing of your brand that you like. Um, and so then the first thing they check in, is there anybody else in the state of Washington? Do they already have that brand? And then if they don't, then you're allowed to get the brand made. And then they have you burn it on a piece of cardboard or wood to make sure that the brand will be clear when you put it on your animal. Cause some, if it's too detailed, um, then it becomes just a big blotted scar and it's unreadable. Um, if you do a freeze brand, those you can get more detailed with because they'll come out clearer. I have a little interesting story to talk about uh, Texas. I was doing genealogy research in my family and I happened to accompany uh, my wife, she was a maid of honor at a wedding down in Fort Worth. And so I went down there with her to this wedding. And I thought when I was there, I would do some research on a great uncle that I knew was a brand inspector. He, that was what was listed in the census um, in the uh, late 1890s. And I went to the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, courthouse and was asking about this person's location, thinking I was gonna be able to finally find this great uncle that was a brand inspector for Texas. And they looked at me and they said, well, he wouldn't have been here. And I said, what? And they said, all of our brand inspectors that worked for that, I think it was a Texas Cattlemen's Association at the time, they were all stationed in the big stockyards up north uh, in Omaha and uh, Wichita and stuff. And it's like, 
And, and I thought, well, that's interesting. He said, why would they be here? They're looking for our cattle being stolen and sold up in the stockyards. And I thought that was interesting. After many years of uh, looking for him, I've uh, actually finally found him in Wichita. And that was uh, an experience. But now you tell me that Texas doesn't even have a brand program. Uh, well, they used to, but now they don't. Um, because uh, we used to have some horse auctions in the area that would bring horses from all over the country. And so if now if a state does not have a brand program, then they have to show vet certificates coming out of those non-brand states to show that they had proper testing before coming into Washington. Um, so yeah, I was surprised to find out when I first started that Texas does not have a brand program anymore. Um, you still can brand your animals, they just don't have a registry for it. Well, it seems to me like it was is something that they uh, it's really too bad that they don't, because I really see great value in this whole program and what you guys do based upon our food safety issues that we were talking about just a couple minutes ago about uh, that. I think that there's a lot of modern applications that involved here that uh, uh, knowing where the animals, these animals were, I think would have I think would have really helped out in England where when this all broke out, the mad cow, if they would have had, and I think now uh, I know that they have a pretty good registry of animals. And I think that they, I, I just returned from a trip to New Zealand where I know that they have a way of identifying every animal that exists, which is just incredible in a, um, in a country that has, you know, m multiple more cows than they do people that they have, a, they have knowledge about who they all are from a standpoint of just food safety. Yeah, and I believe they have also the electronic ear tags like we have started in the last few years here. Um, also like the slaughter plant that I work at during the week, inspecting cattle as they come in. Um, they get a lot of cattle that come down from British Columbia and that is a requirement before they cross the border into the U.S. is they have to have the electronic ear tags, too, so that they can be scanned um, to know that cattle that actually came across the border are going to their final destination of the slaughter plant. You don't see any kind of, uh, except for continued modernization, you don't see uh, much uh, changes in this profession in the near future, correct? No, the only changes that we do see is they continue to try to make um, like the sale facilities um, a little more technology savvy and easier to process. Because like, I mean, the sale barns on this side of the state are smaller. I think like the most would be like three, four hundred head go through one of the larger sales on this side of the state. But over on the east side, like Toppenish, they're one of the larger sales in the state. And right now they call it fall run because everybody is weaning their calves off their cows and selling. So it's the crazy time of year, but they can get up to 2,500 head on a sale day. So that's a lot of paperwork for us in the office. Because as, as we look at them, when they check in, we enter them all into our computer system. And then as they're sold, then we check them all out to the new owners. So they're trying to find ways to streamline that process for us. How many brand inspectors are there uh, in the entire state? I know they're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But so there's four on the west side. And I think I think we're supposed to have ten on the east side in the really busy, crazy sections. It's kind of hard to keep people because they get overwhelmed a little bit. So um uh, that kind of leads itself to my final question. How did you ever discover this job? I mean, is this not something I've ever seen in the help wanted ads? Uh, you know, what, so how how were you uh, made aware of this opportunity? Well, I knew it was an occupation just from growing up in the dairy industry and everything. When we quit farming, I worked for USDA for a little bit. Um, when all the bird flu, avian influenza stuff came out. When that position ended, I was just doing random searches on the different agriculture websites to look for a new job. And it popped up as an opening in Western Washington. So I actually knew the gal that was leaving the position. So I was able to talk to her and get details on what she liked, what she didn't like, why she was leaving, that kind of stuff. So I had the inside scoop would help a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I I like it. It's flexible position so I can work around our kids' schedules. Um, but it also keeps me involved in the agriculture industry and a good fit. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. Well, uh, this has been really fascinating. I'm pretty assured that most people haven't really gave the job of brand inspector uh, much thought. And so this people are going to find this interesting about that this is a profession that's very alive and well and probably has a lot of new emerging modern applications to it, which uh, we should all care about. And so I appreciate you being able to spend some time today and describe what you do, Lena. Thank you for having me today. Okay. So, folks, join us next week as we continue to explore the wonderful history of the Snoqualmie Valley. Thanks. Bye.